0: In our series on relationships, we've talked about how God's desire is to enter into personal relationship with us. It wasn't enough just for all the incredible, uh, fathomless uh, creations of stars and space and planets. God wanted someone created in his own image and likeness to enter into a personal relationship with. We found out that there are at least three different kinds of relationships. Relationships. There are covenant relationships. There are committed relationships. And there are casual relationships. You might know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you've got to invest the most. In fact, covenant relationships require that we invest all that we are and all that we have. All that we are and all that we have. Do you know that your relationship with God is a covenant relationship? In fact, did you know that your relationship with the body of Christ, listen to me now, and those of you who are listening around uh, 50 countries of the world, listen, God's God's covenant relationship doesn't just extend to you as an individual, it extends to you with a faith family. The Bible says that Jesus is the bridegroom of the bride. That's a covenant. And that bride is the church. That's me and you. It's serious to God. It's serious. You need to be associated with a faith family where God has put you. Amen. It's a covenant relationship. There are committed relationships. You would have that uh, in special friendships in business relationships, and things where it's another level, it's not where all that I am and all that I have is yours, but it uh, uh, like marriage and and like being a believer is but it's committed, and there's a high level of investments that are required and then there are casual relationships where uh, you know you know people uh, at work, you know people at school, you know people at the ballpark, um, and, and those are casual relationships and they have some value um, but they're not something that you commit your life to. Um, We talked about the fatherhood of God last week. What a time we had. I pray that you'll listen to that if you haven't had an opportunity as yet. But now today we're going to talk about the possibility of poison entering this wonderful thing called relationships. Turn with me to 2 Timothy please. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This was Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy. It was written around 67 or 68 A.D. And uh, he's writing to young Timothy who, as a bishop, as an apostle, he had appointed Timothy as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And in 2 Timothy... Uh, I want you to focus in now. You're going to hold this place. We're going to turn to other places. But 2 Timothy 4 is where we're going to come back to. In verse 14, we see a very strange passage of Scripture. Verse 14 says, Alexander the coppersmith. The coppersmith was quite a businessman in first century culture. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Hmm. How would you like to be in Holy Scripture the rest of eternity with your name on it as being uh, uh, somebody harmful to an apostle of God. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him for he has greatly resisted our words, the words that the Spirit of God has given to us, the holy Word of God, that many of which are in the canon of Scripture, it has been resisted by Alexander the Coppersmith. Avoid him. Beware of him. So, the Word of God lets us know that there are some relationships that you need to be aware of, there are some people who are poisonous. They're carriers of division and strife and pain. And if you succumb to getting in connection with these people, it will block your blessing because it will affect the internal atmosphere of your inner man. So there are some relationships we have to be very, very discerning about. And the Bible says to beware of if even a Now, I like what Paul does here in verse, verse 14. He makes the statement, this man has done me much harm and resisted. But then he says, may the Lord repay him according to his works. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm turning him over to the Lord. Write this scripture down, Hebrews 10 and verse 30. Hebrews 10 and verse 30 tells you how that you need to respond to people who hurt you. Hebrews 10 verse 30 says, do not repay evil for evil. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. He didn't say, I'll think about repayment. He didn't say, I could or I may repay. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. He is the righteous judge. We don't like to think about it, but I want to tell you something. God is all loving, but he doesn't like it when somebody abuses and mistreats his children. And I don't care if you're 90 years old or you're 90 days old. He doesn't like the abuse and mistreatment of his children. Our job, like Paul said, our job is to commit retribution to God, the righteous judge, and not hold on to it and try to make somebody pay because we want to see them pay. Because the more we hold on to something that is not our right, the more we will become obsessed and controlled by trying to make somebody pay instead of releasing it over to God and being able to go on and walk in the blessing of the love of God. If you are consumed with trying to make them get it, trying to make them pay, it's going to hurt nobody but you and those closest to you. You better believe those who are in covenant with you will also be hurt. By your obsession with trying to make them pay. God says that's His job. Our job is to forgive, to go before the throne of God, to forgive and to release. To forgive and to release. To forgive and to release. But now I want you to see something else here in 2 Timothy 4. No, before we do that, I've got, I got to take you to the right. Hold, hold your place right there. I want to show you something very interesting. Go to the right to the book of Philemon. It comes right before Hebrews. If you go to Hebrews, you've gone too far. Philemon is very close to 2 Timothy. There's only one chapter in the book of Philemon. And we hear about someone else here in Verse 24. Paul is talking about the companions who were with him. This was written about 60 or 61 A.D. Paul was in his first Roman imprisonment. And he's talking about those who were with him. Look at verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, D-E-M-A-S, and Luke, my fellow what? My fellow laborers. These are workers with me in the gospel, and they are my compatriots, even as I have been arrested for the preaching of the gospel, and I'm in Rome sending you this letter, Philemon. So I want you to pick out the name Demas, and I want you to remember the name Mark as well. Now, turn back to the left, and I want you to go to the book of Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, it comes right after Philippians, Colossians chapter 4. Love to hear those Pages turning, and for those of you who are using electronic Bibles, just don't get stuck on another site. Just stay with the Word of God. Colossians 4, 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas, D-E-M-A-S, greet you. So what do we know so far about Demas? He was a companion to the Apostle Paul. He was in the inner circle of the Apostle Paul who traveled with him, who preached the gospel, who assisted Paul. Everybody remember those words, inner circle. Demas was part of the Apostle Paul's inner circle. All right, now back to 2 Timothy 4. Back to 2 Timothy 4. You've probably noticed I'm back to where I'm primarily anointed, and that's teaching. 2 Timothy 4. Are you there? Verse 9. The last letter. Remember now, Demas was mentioned in 60, 61 AD as a companion, as an inner circle. Uh, And now look at verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly, Paul says, for Demas has forsaken me, Hmm. having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens, one of my other associates, has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. It is interesting to me that God assigned a medical physician to stay with the apostle through all of his days. Luke stayed with him through everything. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Pastor, what does it mean that Demas loved this present world? Well, let's go to, go to the back of your Bible now. 1 John, 1 John chapter 2 is going to tell us what this present world, how does God define this present world? If Demas fell in love with this present world and lost his first love of Jesus, how did he lose his first love of Jesus and the gospel? How did he disqualify himself from the inner core of the apostle and the word of God, what happened? 1 John chapter 2 is going to tell us about what this present world. Paul uses the word cosmos in the Greek. And understand that it's not talking about the physical planet of the world. This is not the physical planet. It is a system. Everybody say that word with me system. Cosmos is a system. And I want you to notice that the system is under the control and influence of the evil one. 1 John 5 19 says, The whole world lies under the influence of the evil one. The whole world system. The educational system, the entertainment system, the financial system, even um, the religious system, so many of the systems of this world lies under the influence of the evil one. So what does this system look like? How could Demas have left the Lord Jesus and fallen in love with the world? All right, let's look at chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, everybody say system, or the things in the world, everybody say system. If anyone loves this world system, the love of the Father is what? Not in him. Oh my goodness. So if I love the world system, the love of God not in me. I didn't make that up, that's what it says right here. Why? Verse 16, for all that is in this world system, three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and this world system is passing away, and the lusts that are in this world system, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So what happened to Demas? He fell in love with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Hmm. Wow. How? The lust of the flesh. What does that mean? That means those Appetites out from under the control of the Spirit of God. Appetites that are out of control of the boundaries that God has placed in His own righteous creation. It means that the the desire for fleshly things that are primarily motivated by bodily cravings rather than the Spirit of God. The lust of the flesh. The desire. For that which brings pleasure, uh, physical, temporary pleasure, sexual gratification. You know, it's getting to where you don't hear this much anymore. Do you know that sexual gratification outside of the boundaries of God's creation in the Word of God is sin? It's a violation of the character and love of God. It's not okay. It hurts. It hurts the heart of God, and it hurts those who would participate in it. People say, well, you know, I'm just looking at stuff all not too on the internet, but it doesn't hurt anybody but me. That's a lie. It hurts the heart of God. It hurts you. It affects your relationships that are good and legitimate as well. The lust of the flesh is the desire for pleasure outside of the boundaries of the Spirit and the Word of God. The lust of the eyes. What is that? That is the desire for possessions. You know, my joy, I, 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 if I've got the lust of the eyes, I see something, I want it, nothing is going to stop me from getting it, it's all I can, I'm obsessed about it, and it now occupies a place of such affection in my mind that it's all I can think about. Do you know that when you leave this earth, you're going to leave with what you came with? What was that? Bill Riddle told me that 30 years ago. See, you didn't know what a prophet you were, right? (laughs) The desire for possessions. And, you know, a lot of times, and the Bible will say that if you see something that belongs to someone else, and you greatly desire that, it is called coveting. It's wanting something that doesn't belong to you. It is okay to desire good things. In fact, the Bible says that we ought to live a quiet and peaceful life because it is the Father's good pleasure to give good gifts to His children. Hallelujah. That's His intention, to give good gifts to His children. But you know what, we ought to understand that if all we can see, that we're constantly desiring whatever we can see with our eyes so that we can possess it, we need to understand that there is no power in possession except self-destruction. I've said this for many years. Some people don't care for it, and we'll say it again. 10% of everything the Lord gives you belongs to Him. It's holy. It's holy. You know, I've had people say to me, but Pastor, I know all these people, and they don't ever even think about returning to the Lord what's His, and they have all kinds of money. They don't have money, money has them. There's a big difference. A big difference: the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then the boastful pride of life. You know what that is inherent? What's inherent in that is, I don't submit to anything or anybody. I am going to run my life, and I am go, I am going to be in charge. I'm going to be in control. The boastful pride of life is that internal desire to be in control. And sometimes that desire to be in control goes from circumstances over to people. And pride begins to destroy relationships. The desire to control other people will destroy everything good about a relationship. Did you know that your husband and your wife, do not they don't belong to you? They belong to the creator and redeemer of their life. God maybe have given you them as a good gift, but you don't own them. You don't own them. You're a caretaker of a relationship. By divine right, they belong to the Lord. Everybody say it with me. Whether I live, I live to the Lord. Whether I die, I die to the Lord. Whether I live or die, I am the Lord's. So Demas, having loved this present world, fell for the trap of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the boastful pride of life. One, if not all, of those three things. May God by the Holy Spirit, keep us from going down that path. Amen. It's destructive. So external strife. There are poisonous people. Pastor, how do I know whether somebody in the relationship with them in my family, in my uh, relationships, in my business, how do I know whether they're poisonous or not? Well, first of all, ask the Holy Spirit, to reveal to you, he who knows it all, ask him to reveal to you whether or not you should commit yourself to that person. Ask the Lord to show you what you can't see. Sometimes you will instantly connect with somebody, and sometimes that is a good long-term relationship, and sometimes it's not so reliable. So ask the Holy Spirit, to show you whether or not that is a relationship that you need to begin to invest in. And um, also understand this, the, the, the scriptures are very plain. The word says, don't, don't, lay hold, don't lay hands on any man suddenly. You know what that means? Don't anoint and appoint somebody quickly. Just because somebody comes on the landscape of your friendship very quickly and and they make a great impression doesn't mean you should commit all that you are and have to them. It's going to take time. It takes time. Many ministers listen to our word. I want to tell you, heed the word of God. Don't lay hands on any man suddenly. Don't anoint and in a point quickly. Give time for track record and faithfulness. Boy, what an incredible principle that is. Ask the Holy Spirit for discernment. Don't commit too quickly. And then last, are you ready for this one? You're not going to like this one. It is sometimes impossible to know. You're just going to have to suffer through it. Do you not think that the Apostle Paul had some discernment? Do you not think that he listened to the Holy Spirit? He spent years with Demas. Years. He mentioned him in Holy Scripture as one of his compatriots. Do you think he was just spiritually dumb? No. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Sometimes there are relationships that you're just not going to know about that are going to turn sour somewhere along the line. And you're going to have to call on God's grace to help you suffer through that and ask the Lord, listen, when you're suffering because of somebody who's hurt you, that you've been in a long relationship with, you've got a great opportunity here. Oh, no, no, listen to it. You've got a great opportunity. You've got a great opportunity to take the high road and go before the throne of God and forgive them even though you don't want to nor feel like it. You're going to have a great opportunity here to, listen, not only go before the Lord and forgive, you've got a great opportunity to humble yourself. And can I tell you something? When you humble yourself, God is very attracted to you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the right time. Jesus said, if you will humble yourself, you will be exalted, promoted. God is divinely attracted to those who will humble themselves. But pastor, I know I was right. We're not talking about being right. We're talking about humbling yourself. What an opportunity, even when you're suffering, what an opportunity to have the favor and the blessing and the promotion of God. And it almost always comes in that time of pain. What an opportunity. And last, I want you to look at a passage that is going, I hope to haunt you. It has haunted me now for almost 30 years, and I'd like to share my haunting with you. <laughs> no, I, I'm serious. Uh, James chapter 3, please. We're going to move from the external Poison to the internal poison. James 3, and I want us to just simply look at verse 16. I love James. He's just right out there. He's plain. Tells it like it is. Amen? In 3.16 he says, For where there is envy, lust of the eyes, where there is envy and self-seeking, that is where I've got a private agenda to satisfy myself. Where there is a churning in my inner man that, will, that is based on my own selfish desires. Where there is envy and King James calls this strife. Newer translations call it self-seeking. Where there is envy and strife, self seeking, there is confusion and every evil thing are there. Do you want to invite evil and confusion and every evil thing into your marriage? Do you want to invite every evil thing into your relationship with your children? Do you want to invite every evil thing into the office there where you work? Do you know that if strife is churning in that home, in that marriage, in that office, in that ballpark, on that team, in the athletic program, in the administration, in the church, if there is strife churning, it becomes very attractive to the evil one and that door is then open for every evil thing and confusion. You just can't seem to make any progress. You just can't seem to get anywhere. Nobody knows exactly. There's no leadership. There's no clarity where strife exists. I was sitting in my office in the early days of this ministry. And something I found out or I sensed or there was a thought planted somewhere that there was opposition or somebody coming against what we were doing. And sitting there in my office, there began this churning of aggravation, of self-defense, of anger. Me sitting there in my office by myself. Y'all don't know I have struggles. You better believe it. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he told me this word that I'm sharing with you, James 3.16. Where there is strife, there is confusion in every evil thing. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you're going to ruin your ministry if you don't stop that right now. That was almost 30 years ago. You're going to open the door to demonic assignments, and there's going to come into your ministry every evil thing, and it will destroy your ministry if you don't deal with it right now. By the grace of God, in the quietness of my own office with nobody around, I said, God, Your word is true. This stirring is sin. And I I tell you this right now, by your grace, I make a vow to you today, I wrote it down, I make a vow to you today that I will not enter into strife with anybody at any time about anything. I wrote it on a paper. I stuck it where I study And I've lived by it for 30 years, almost. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Deal aggressively with strife. Don't play around with it. Don't let it stay with you, it will steal from you. It will steal your health, it will steal your income, it'll steal your peace of mind, it'll steal your relationships, it'll steal everything good from you if you allow it to just keep churning. Deal with it aggressively and honestly before God. Understand this, there's a difference between disagreement and contention. Now, don't use that as an excuse to be in contention. The Bible talks about contention and its destruction. But did you know that it's, that it's not sin to have disagreements, even with people who are close to you? Do you remember in the, second in the second Timothy passage that we read to begin with, Do you remember one of the names that was mentioned there when Paul said, who was with him? We read about it in Colossians. We read about it there in, in, in chapter 4 and verse 11 of 2 Timothy. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. You ever read the 15th chapter of Acts. John Mark was Barnabas' nephew. Paul and Barnabas were a mighty, mighty team. They're going all over the place. The Spirit of God was doing great and mighty miracles. They were a mighty team. And Paul said to uh, Barnabas, read about it for yourself. Okay, it's time for us to go back to the churches we've been to and solidify them, encourage them. And um, Barnabas said, Let's go. I'll tell John Mark, hit the road. Paul said, oh, no, you won't. We're not taking him. Wait a minute, Pastor. You talking about the same John Mark that wrote the second book of the New Testament? Yeah. You talking about the same John Mark that he's calling for to come to see him now? Yeah. Paul said, I'm I'm not going with him. And Acts 15 said that the disagreement between them became so strong that Barnabas took John Mark with him and Paul took a man named Silas and they went their separate ways. You may say, Pastor, what a disaster. No. The influence of the gospel doubled. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Sometimes the greatest favor God can ever do for you is to move you out of where you are and put you somewhere else. Amen? You don't have to agree with everybody, but don't let strife and contention churn. Just understand that you're going to agree to disagree about that and decide to love them anyway, but it doesn't mean you have to have them over for dinner every night. Forgiveness is essential. Trust is earned over time. They're not the same thing. Thank you for letting me talk plainly to you. It's just the simple teaching of the word, isn't it? Let's all stand. Father, we bless you and praise you for your mighty and holy word. Now, we ask that you would make our spiritual senses more sharp. May we discern more quickly what you have brought into our life or what you are trying to tell us to beware of. May we listen to your spirit. May we listen to the voices of those we're in covenant with. May we listen to our covering, but may we first and foremost hear the voice of God and obey. Forgive us for our independence and our disobedience. Forgive us for that innate desire in our flesh to control circumstances and people we repent of it Lord Lord right now we ask you to identify to us any strife that is in us and give us the resolve to aggressively come against strife immediately to refuse to allow it to abide in the inner atmosphere of our spirit and our soul thank you so long ago for showing me the poison that was beginning to develop and thank you for your power to break it I give you thanks for that Lord that was only a gift of your grace it wasn't because of my own flesh I was a failure Thank you, Jesus. Strengthen and solidify and fortify every heart under the sound of this Word. In the precious and holy name of Jesus. Don't forget two weeks to be here with Brother Chet. We're going to have a wonderful time together. Go with God. He's going with you. Amen.